0: Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry once again. Thank you for joining me today as we look at an important chapter in the Exodus of Egypt. Type meets antitype in the last generation on earth, as the people of God in the last days have much the same spiritual experience as the Israelites. We are again nearing the border of Canaan. The issues surrounding Christ's people are much the same as they were for ancient Israel. We need to take heed lest we fall into the same unbelief and sin. As we begin, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, great is your faithfulness and great is our unfaithfulness. Please forgive us our sins, help us to walk in obedience to your commands, and be faithful to your principles. We have much to study today about what impacts the very times in which we live. So teach us today that we may understand our position and work in these last days. As we study, send your precious Holy Spirit to us to inspire with the things we need to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 16, 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The purpose of the exodus of ancient Israel was to bring the Israelites back to the faith and practice of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. While in Egypt, they had learned to eat the abominations of the heathen and had forsaken the dietary restrictions and regulations practiced by their forefathers. Health reform was an important part of the movement out of Egypt. The use of flesh foods had been pronounced unclean and an abomination by the Lord. See Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Actually, the distinction between unclean and clean had been made before the flood, and these divine regulations were carefully observed by the faithful after the flood. In the beginning, the Creator gave to all His creatures the food that was for their best good. The diet of man was restricted to the highest types of all food, grains, nuts, and fruits. Let's read it from Genesis one twenty nine thirty and two sixteen. And God said, "Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. God gave man grains, nuts, and fruits to eat as the original divinely diet, perfectly suited for man to sustain him forever along with the tree of life. Even the animals and the birds shared in the abundant food supply on the newly created planet. There were no beasts that tore the flesh of others to sustain their lives or simply the wants of their carnal appetites. All that arose after sin, came into the earth by Adam's transgression. After sin there was a curse on the ground that made it necessary for men to live by the sweat of his face and the Lord added herbs and vegetables to his diet. Let us read Genesis 3:17 through 19. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast Hearken unto the voice of thy wife, and eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou Return the, unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken; for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. This amended diet was ideal for God's people during the reign of sin. There was no command or instruction to eat any flesh. God's diet for man after sin was a plant-based diet. The eating of unclean meat was God's will for after the flood, even though it wasn't the best, for it would abbreviate man's life. But God gave the instruction specifically in order to shorten man's life. Notice what he said in the context of his instruction in meat-eating in Genesis 9 verse 5. And surely, Your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. The Lord endeavoured to lead Israel toward the idea of a plant based diet, and he is attempting to lead modern Israel to the same practice. In the new earth, God's original diet will be fully restored to his people. Those who are preparing for translation will be all the way back to the amended diet and therefore will be but one step from the original plan. As man's rebellion against God increased, all restrictions were broken down and the human family began to imitate the savage beasts in devouring their fellow creatures. Sinful men were not satisfied to get their food directly from the vegetable kingdom. They turned into carnivores and began to eat the flesh of lower animals. Then, in an effort to check the apostasy, the Lord made a distinction between the animals. He selected the most healthful and designated them as clean and after the flood gave permission for man to eat them. All others he designated as unclean and positively unfit for food, and even called them an abomination. But even this second barrier was soon broken down by sinful rebels to God and his truth. The apostasy continued, until every living creature in the animal kingdom was used for food. In some cases, men even began to eat their fellow men. The purpose of the everlasting gospel, particularly of the three angels' messages, is to restore that which was lost through sin, to bring men back to his original state. The steps in rebellion and apostasy must be retraced by those who enter the paradise of Restored. When the gospel changes your life, it changes your lifestyle. You eliminate from your diet the unclean abominations forbidden in the scriptures. When the Reformation is completed under the everlasting gospel, which prepares a people to enter the heavenly Canaan, the steps in diet reform will have all been taken except the last one, which is for the perfect sinless state. Let us read Revelation fourteen six through 7 And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth, and the sea and the fountains of waters the everlasting gospel tells us to give glory to god one of the important ways you do that is through your lifestyle including your diet even daniel in babylon recognized this he asked for food that was in harmony with the amended diet given to man he knew the scriptures And he knew what God's will was. And he wasn't going to fight and argue with God. He would rather have the argument with man if necessary. But he wasn't going to argue with God. He was going to let nothing defile his body. He gave glory to God by eating only that which God had specifically ordained. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. If we are going to practice faith, we have to practice faith with our diet too. As we near the borders of Canaan, this is more important than ever, and what we put in our mouths affects our mind and our body. If we want to have a, have a spiritually sharp mind and a physical constitution that will endure trial in the time of trouble, we'll need to edit our dietary program to meet God's standard. And the sooner you start practicing a simple lifestyle, including a simple diet, the sooner we will be ready to make the transition to our heavenly home. That's God's purpose for us in these last days. Also, if they were to learn to practice faith, it would be necessary for them to be brought into difficulty so God could bless them and provide for them, thus strengthening their faith. We will never learn our lessons of faith unless we have trials and tribulations to strengthen it. God has to bring us into straight places, if it's going to show us how he provides for our needs and so that we may exercise and develop faith in God. Learning to trust God and distrust the arm of flesh is one of the most important things for a human being. But God knows just how to accomplish it. Listen to this from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 292. When they had been a month absent from Egypt, they made their first encampment in the wilderness. Their store of provisions had now begun to fail. There was scanty herbage in the wilderness, and their flocks were diminishing. How was food to be supplied for these vast multitudes? Doubts filled their hearts, and again they murmured, Even the rulers and elders of the people joined in complaining against the leaders of God's appointment. Israel did not value their deliverance as much as they should have. They murmured and complained that they had nothing to eat, and they reckoned that they would die in the wilderness. The mutiny was almost universal though they murmured against moses and aaron they really murmured against god because moses and aaron were his vice-gerents the israelites would rather die by the flesh pots of egypt where they found themselves with provisions than live under the guidance of the heavenly pillar in the wilderness and be provided for by the hand of god what a privilege but they pronounced it better to have fallen in the destruction of God's enemies than to bear the fatherly discipline of God toward his children. We cannot suppose that they had plenty to eat in Egypt, but how glowingly they talked of the fleshpots. Nor could they ever fear dying of want in the wilderness while they had their flocks, and their herds with them. But discontent magnifies what is past and vilifies what is present without regard to truth or reason. Have you ever seen that? None talk more absurdly than murmurers. Their impatience, their ingratitude, and distrust of God were so much the worse in that they had lately experienced such miraculous power and convincing proofs, both that God would help them in the greatest emergencies and that really he had mercy in store for them. Listen to them in Exodus 16.3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. But the God who preserved them through the Red Sea was capable of providing food for them all. His powerful arm is not short that he cannot sustain his people in any circumstance. God was ever so merciful with him. And I'm glad that God doesn't change. He still has mercy for his people, but he had a much wider purpose than providing them food in the wilderness. He wanted to teach them lessons upon lessons to help them along in their spiritual journey. In an attempt to lead Israel back toward the original diet, the Lord gave them manna to eat. The Bible calls it corn from heaven and angel's food. Psalm 78, verse 23 and to 25. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, men did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. In the original reading, it calls manna the bread of the mighty. It was the food used by the angels and unfallen beings. It was the best food in the universe. It contained more of the vital food elements than any food known to man. It is described in Exodus sixteen thirty one and in Numbers eleven seven and eight. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It was bread from heaven, and it is rich with symbolisms of Christ. It reminds me of the song, Fill My Cup, Lord, that has the phrase, Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Jesus is the bread from heaven. He provides the spiritual food that we need, especially when the world is going after deceptions and lies. Jesus is the true bread that will never feed you falsehood, empty, spiritual calories. The bread from heaven is truly the bread of the mighty. If you want to be an overcomer, you need the bread of the mighty. It can be relied on to feed your soul to the full on good things. Listen to John six thirty-two and 33. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. And giveth life unto the world. Jesus is the only bread that can give you eternal life. God wanted to teach Israel faith and trust in God. He wanted to teach Israel to wholly depend on Him. He wanted to show Israel that He could provide exceedingly and abundantly, far more than they could ask or think. Does that remind you what God wants to do for his people in the new earth? And how about right now, at the end of time? The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Ephesians 3.20. God wants to surprise us as he did them with something very valuable. God also used the manna to renew the teaching about the Sabbath. They had lost the true understanding of the Sabbath while in Egypt. God was preparing to renew to them the Sabbath and enshrine it in the Ten Commandments. He was also going to use the manna as a teaching tool, and he would test them to see that they would be loyal to his commands by the way they treated the manna. Likewise, in the antitypical last-day church, the Sabbath is a test of loyalty to God and his truth. God will answer the question, Will there be a people on the earth, when the deceptions are rampant and the pull of the world is strongest, a people that will remain true to God, even unto death? Will they be willing to keep his law under extreme pressure from a society, from a world that is deceived and controlling? But Israel was not satisfied with the bread of heaven. They were still carnal and wanted the flesh pots to satisfy their lusts. Councils on Health, page 111, tells us how they viewed the manna. They loathed the food given them and wished themselves back in Egypt where they could sit by the flesh pots. They preferred to endure slavery and even death rather than to be deprived of flesh. God granted their desire, giving them flesh, and leaving them to eat till their gluttony produced a plague, from which many of them died. Imagine that. They loathed the bread of heaven. Could you and I do that? Would we desire the world and its lust and pleasures more than the heavenly society? Would we rather be a slave to Satan than to be free in Christ? I'm afraid that many of us would. Listen to what Patriarchs and Prophets has to say. This is on page 382. God gave the people that which was not for their highest good, because they persisted in desiring it. They would not be satisfied with those things that would prove a benefit to them. Their rebellious desires were granted, but they were left to suffer the result. They feasted without restraint, and their excesses were speedily punished. The Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Large numbers were cut down by burning fevers, while the most guilty among them were smitten as soon as they tasted the food for which they had lusted. The sin of gluttony is very serious to God. Let's read Deuteronomy twenty-one, eighteen through 21 If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out, to the elders of his city, and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones, that he die. So shall ye put evil away from among you, and All Israel shall hear and fear. Councils on Health, page 71, says this, The word of God places the sin of gluttony in the same catalog with drunkenness. So offensive was this sin in the sight of God that he gave direction to Moses that a child who would not be restrained on the point of appetite but would gorge himself with anything his taste might crave, should be brought by his parents before the rulers in Israel and should be stoned to death. The condition of the glutton was considered hopeless. He would be of no use to others and was a curse to himself. No dependence could be placed upon him in anything His influence would be ever contaminating others, and the world would be better without such a character, for his terrible defects will be perpetuated. How much gluttony is there today? Do you think gluttony is a great sin at the end of time? Do you think there are many hopeless cases that are tied to their flesh and their excessive eating? One Christian man told me that if there was another life, he would like to come back as a vulture because there would be wonderful roadkill to eat. He was fat enough that it was obvious that he is a glutton. Obesity is a result primarily of gluttony, and today there is an epidemic of obesity in our world, even among children. The enemy has gotten people so tied to their bellies that they cannot overcome their gluttony. And they have excused it. This is a sin that is very prevalent today and is no less serious than in the days of ancient Israel. Modern parents make but little or no effort to keep their children from gorging themselves. Overeating or surfeiting is one of the sins of the last days. Let us just remind ourselves of the end-time counsel in Luke 21, uh, 34. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that they come upon you unawares. Exodus 15:26 tells us the true basis of health is obedience to God. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And on condition of obedience to the statutes and the laws that he ordained for Israel, both typical and antitypical, he says this in Deuteronomy seven fifteen, And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness, and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Health depends on obedience to the laws of God, both moral and physical. Obedience to the laws of nature alone is not sufficient, though they are helpful. The greatest factor in healthful living is a spiritual experience. It is just as impossible to have perfect health by obedience to natural laws as it is to gain salvation by human obedience to moral law. Faith and works must be combined in obtaining health as well as in obtaining salvation. A good Christian experience is of the first importance in health reform. Combined with our obedience to health principles, there must be a divine miracle, working power within. This is the secret of the health of the Israelites, and we're Told in Psalm 105 37 that there was not one feeble person among their tribes. There is no point in telling people about the benefits of a healthful life if we don't tell them the principles of a relationship with Christ. They may scoff at us, but they are not going to achieve true health otherwise. They may create for themselves better conditions. And thereby, maybe some will be open to a relationship with God, but that in itself is not what God designs. He wants us to use the health message as an entering wedge to the hearts of the people who know not God or his last generation truth. God intends that the last generation church return to his original diet as amended. But they have a long way to go. Many will fall by the wayside because they refuse to give up their meats, sweets, and other things that he has asked us to refrain from. But God intends to have a purified people to take to heaven. Here is a statement from Councils on Diet and Foods, page 82. Again and again, I have been shown that God is bringing his people back to his original design. That is, not to subsist on the flesh of dead animals. He would have us teach people a better way. If meat is discarded, if the taste is not educated in that direction, if a liking for fruits and grains is encouraged, it will soon be as God, in the beginning, designed it should be. No meat will be used by his people. Here's another statement from Ministry of Healing, page 315. The moral evils of a flesh diet are not less marked than are the physical ills. Flesh food is injurious to health, and whatever affects the body has a corresponding effect on the mind and the soul. We get more specific information in Councils on Health, page five seven six through five seven eight. The Word of God plainly warns us that unless we abstain from lustly lusts, the physical nature will be brought into conflict with the spiritual nature. Lustful eating wars against health and peace. Thus. A warfare is instituted between the higher and the lower attributes of man. The lower propensities, strong and active, oppress the soul. The highest interests of the being are imperiled by the indulgence of appetites, unsanctioned by heaven. Eating has much to do with religion. The spiritual experience is GREATLY affected by the way in which the stomach is treated. Eating and drinking in accordance with the laws of health promote virtuous actions. But if the stomach is abused by habits that have no foundation in nature, Satan takes advantage of the wrong that has been done and uses the stomach as an enemy of righteousness, creating a disturbance which affects the entire being. Sacred things are not appreciated. Spiritual zeal diminishes. Peace of mind is lost. There is dissension, strife, and discord. Impatient words are spoken and unkind deeds are done. Dishonest practices are followed and anger is manifested. And all because... The nerves of the brain are disturbed by the abuse heaped upon the stomach. What a pity it is that often when the greatest self-denial should be exercised, the stomach is crowded with a mass of unhealthful food which lies there to decompose. The affliction of the stomach afflicts the brain. The imprudent eater does not realize that he is disqualifying himself for giving wise counsel, disqualifying himself for laying plans for the best advancement of the work of God. But this is so. He cannot discern spiritual things, and in council meetings, when he should say yea, he says nay. He makes propositions that are wide of the mark because the food he has eaten has benumbed his brain power. No wonder the church is impotent and seems sleepy. Church members have not kept a healthful diet. The Israelites lusted after the flesh pots of Egypt. God's people, at the end of time, are antitypical Israel and they are just as lustful of the fleshpots of Babylon as were the ancient Israelites, the fleshpots of Egypt. How can their spiritual eyesight be sharp as necessary for the last days? God's attempt to purify the appetites of the Israelites was an attempt to make them his holy people. God is trying to do the same thing today with Antitypical Israel. Will they heed the light? Will they be purified and made ready for heaven? I dare say that there will be many who are lost because they will not heed the light. Here's a statement from Medical Ministry, page 267. The light that God has given and will continue to give on the food question is to be to his people today what the manna was to the children of Israel. The manna fell from heaven, and the people were told to gather it and prepare it to be eaten. So in the different countries of the world, light will be given to God's people, and health foods suited to these countries will be prepared. But God will not leave his people without help in these last days. He will continue to show us how to live and how to prepare foods the right way. Listen to this for the statement from Medical Ministry, page 267. In grains, fruits, vegetables, and nuts are to be found all the food elements that we need. If we will come to the Lord in simplicity of mind, He will teach us how to prepare wholesome food free from the taint of flesh meat. Health reform is a broad subject covering far more than our diet, though. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever is all-inclusive. It involves exercise in the out of doors, in sunshine and fresh air, the use of water both in drinking and in natural healing, balance of work and rest, sleep, dress reform, etc. It includes natural remedies instead of poisonous drugs and vaccines. Healthful living and health reform are closely related to our spiritual life as we have seen. But it is more than that. It involves the proclamation of the health message of the third angel. Listen to this from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 559. The health reform is closely connected with the work of the third message, yet it is not the message. Our preachers should teach the health reform, yet they should not make this the leading theme in the place of the message. Its place is among those subjects which set forth the preparatory work to meet the events brought to view by the message. Among these it is prominent. We cannot properly give the third angel's message as it is intended to be given under the power of the latter rain unless we are health reformers. We cannot eat our way to heaven, for that would be salvation by works. However, the way we eat may keep us out of heaven. All the Israelites who clamored for the flesh pots of Egypt died in the wilderness because of their rebellion. Some died immediately when the plague fell upon them, when God provided them with flesh to eat in the form of the quail. But most died during the forty years of wandering in the wilderness, after they rebelled against God in the matter of the ten spies sent into Canaan. Those who are preparing to enter the kingdom of God will eat, drink, and dress, and act in such a way as to glorify God. While these things do not make them citizens of the heavenly kingdom, they are evidence that they are citizens. Citizenship is a gift from God, while conduct is an evidence of the acceptance of that gift. They may be quite different from the other members of the church. In fact, they will be viewed as straight-laced, narrow, and even fanatical. Listen to this statement from Review and Herald, January 9, 1894. When we reach the standard that the Lord would have us reach, worldlings will regard Seventh-day Adventists as odd, singular, straight-laced extremists. We are made a spectacle to the world and to men. Unfortunately, in many places and in many countries, those who have tried to bring the health reform message even to the church are considered to be extremists and fanatics. This is because the church is so compromised with the Babylonian diet that they cannot tolerate the message in its strength and power, even when under the power of the Holy Spirit. They do not see the danger of going on like the world and eating the unhealthful food to their spiritual life. Many of the leaders fight against those who bring the message. But we have to remember that what we are told in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 321. In this fearful time, just before Christ is to come the second time, God's faithful preachers will have to bear a still more pointed testimony than was borne by John the Baptist. A responsible, important work is before them, and those who speak smooth things God will not acknowledge as his shepherds. A fearful woe is upon them. Are these enemies of health reform in the church going to be in heaven? I think not. They are actually committing treason to God and leading the church away from his standard and his plan. They will find some reason to reject the Holy Spirit in the latter reign. They will even find some reason to separate from God's true people. They will side with the enemies of God's faithful people and will advocate things that will make their lives very difficult. They will become their worst enemies. We have seen what they will do in the real crisis because they did it during the pandemic. They failed to stand for the right and stood against God's counsel. They actually stood against God. They will do the same thing when the Sunday law becomes politically correct and Sabbath-keeping becomes unacceptable by the world. God's instructions concerning the seventh-day Sabbath were known to the ancient Israelites long before Sinai. And the way the manner was organized was not only instruction and reaffirmation of the seventh-day Sabbath, but God used it as a test of loyalty for his people. If you study the Bible, God always has a test for his people to prove their loyalty to his law. The story of Exodus itself tells us that it predated the exodus of Israel from Egypt. Moses would not have known what God was talking about if he had not been keeping the Sabbath before the Exodus. Exodus 16.5 says the following, And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. The setting aside of the seventh-day Sabbath from labor was a divine appointment for holy rest ever since God created man on the earth. It was also the most ancient of positive laws. The way of Sabbath sanctification is the good old way. God gave them bread for two days on the sixth day so that they could gather enough for their families over the Sabbath and would not have to work to gather it on the sacred day. And God made sure that the people were not losers by keeping the Sabbath. They were to prepare for the Sabbath on Friday, the sixth day, by preparing food that they would need. And the law was very strict. They must bake and seethe the day before, not on the Sabbath day. The seventh-day Sabbath was to be kept as God had directed. If they did not, they would have nothing to eat. They would have to go out and look for manna on the Sabbath. Some did, and they found none. The lesson was obvious. We are to minimize our labor on the Sabbath day, restricting it to works of necessity. This is so we can apply ourselves to the one thing needful. And God miraculously sustained the manna over two days that it did not putrefy on the second day. But when they kept it in opposition to the command of God for an extra day during the week, it stank and was putrid. God's plan was to teach the Israelites to depend on him for their needs on a daily basis, but he miraculously preserved the manna over Friday night and kept it until Sabbath pure and fresh. He provided a constant supply for them. Everything that is sanctified by the word of God in prayer is sweet and good. God did not supply the manna on the Sabbath Because they must not go out to gather it. After all, it was a Sabbath day, and they were not to work. Therefore, they must not expect it. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. This shows us that the manna was not an ordinary thing or produced by natural causes, and it is a confirmation of the divine authority of God's law. So God did this because there would be no way that they would forget the Sabbath, nor the day of preparation for it. Some, it seems, went out on the seventh day expecting to find manna, but they found none. The lesson is, that which we must find must be sought for during the appointed time. Seek the Lord while he may be found, the Bible says. And when the people went looking for manna on the seventh day, God said to Moses in verse 28, And the Lord said to Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? Note that it was not Moses that disobeyed the Sabbath commandment, but the disobedience of the people that invoked the rebuke and reproof for going out to seek manna on the seventh day. And the seventh day Sabbath had another memorial that would help them not to forget it. There was preserved in the golden pot an omer of it, and after it was constructed, it was placed in the Ark of the Covenant for a testimony to the Sabbath as a perpetual reminder of its sacredness. The miraculous preservation of this manna from waste and corruption was a standing miracle and therefore a standing reminder of the seventh-day Sabbath. It was also a reminder of the great feast. He provided day after day, week after week, year after year in the wilderness. The seventh-day Sabbath is very important to the last generation, too. God intends to use it as a test of loyalty to His law, just as He used manna as a test of loyalty to His law for ancient Israel. It was also to be be rewarded with sustaining bread during the time of trouble. The manna was only for those who followed the pillar of cloud and fire. It also represented Christ. Today, it is for the support of the divine life in the soul while we are in the wilderness of this world. We must gather the spiritual manna from Christ for ourselves and gather it in the morning, which if we let pass, may be too late to gather during the day. Also, there is enough manna for all, and all can receive of His grace sufficient for the day. And you will have sufficient for your need, nothing more, nothing less especially for the last generation. As in all previous generations, God's grace is completely sufficient. The call for spiritual revival and a spiritual reformation is the most important of all roads to health reform. This message will bring the latter rain of spiritual and physical healing as well as power to share the message. Divine miracle-working power will cooperate with obedience to the laws of health, producing a people to be wondered at in health and wisdom, even as were Daniel and his companions in ancient Babylon. Modern Babylon is no different. We will have to give our testimony with our lives if called upon. We need spiritual manner from heaven, John 649 51 is very prescient. Our fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live for ever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. The manna which was provided in the wilderness was not going to bestow eternal life. That comes from the sustaining grace of God through obedience to his word. We must partake of the spiritual manna and develop our relationship with Jesus in order to be saved. Matthew four four reminds us that Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There is a promise given to the overcomer. It's found in Revelation 2:17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name, which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. I want to be a partaker of the hidden manna, don't you? That is the most precious and priceless manna of all, a treasure above all treasures, because it brings all other treasures in its train. If you are eating of the hidden manna, you will have the other blessings of heaven, too. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to partake of the hidden manna. Please make us ready to receive it. We want to be overcomers, so please send your Holy Spirit that we may eat the bread that is provided from heaven for us right now. And thank you for this episode in the history of the israelites it was really important to understand and we ask these things in jesus name amen like the woman
1: For things that could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my well that never shall run dry Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord Come and quench this thirsting of my soul Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole There are millions in this world The pleasure Earthly things afford But none Can match the wondrous Treasure That I find In Jesus Christ My Lord Fill my cup, Lord I lift it up, Lord Come and quench this thirsting of my soul, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more, fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Children, if the things this world gave you leave hungers that won't pass away, my blessed Lord will come and save you if you kneel to Him and humbly pray. Fill my cup, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole
0: you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. And thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called Fill My Cup, Lord, sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 Postpaid, and we will gladly send you one. International listeners should send $20 USD. Be sure and mention the consecration CD. The following is our Prophetic Intelligence Briefing, a feature that brings you current events in the light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times, telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis and the coming of the Lord.
2: May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month. Italy's Mount Etna, volcano spewing smoke and ash in new eruption. Mount Etna, Europe's most active volcano, started erupting on Sunday, spewing ash on Catania, eastern Sicily's, Largest city enforcing a suspension of flights at the city's airport. Italy's National Institute of Geophysics and Volcanology, or INGV, which closely monitors Etna with instrumentation on the slopes, noted that cloud cover on a rainy day was impeding views of the eruption, which often serves as a spectacular display of flaming lava during the volcano's not infrequent eruptions. The institute said that ash had fallen on Catania and at least one town on Mount Etna's inhabited slopes. No injuries were reported. Catania airport said due to ashfall flight operations were temporarily suspended. Any clear image of the erupting volcano was made murkier by the bad weather with rainful dark clouds covering Mount Etna. INGV indicated that monitoring had recorded evidence of a stepping up in tremor activity in recent days. People in the towns of Aldrano and Biancavilla reported hearing loud booms emanating from the volcano on Sunday. The Italian news agency ANSA said, Italy's National Civil Protection Agency had noted on Thursday in an alert that in view of increased volcanic activity, sudden variations of Etna's activity could occur. The last eruption on Mount Etna wasn't too long ago. On 14 May 2023, coincidentally another Sunday, authorities reported an eruption which spewed out ash from the southeastern side of the volcano, the same place where the new eruption was spotted last Sunday. In early 2021, an eruption of the volcano lasted several weeks. On Tuesday morning, Italian authorities declared that the new eruption on Mount Edna was officially over. The airport in Catania has reopened. Quote, You will see the accidents that are befalling us in our world, those that are on the cars and the games, and that are on the water, and the flame, and the fire, and the blood, and the volcanoes, and all these things. They are perishing. Why? The Spirit of God is being withdrawn from the earth. Letters and Manuscripts, Volume 17, page 229. Next, Argentina raises interest rate to 97% as it struggles to tackle inflation. The Central Bank of Argentina raised its key interest rate Monday by 6 percentage points to 97% in an effort to tackle soaring inflation that has reached 30-year highs. Central banks across the globe are struggling to rein in inflation, but it's a particular problem in Argentina, where the annual inflation rate soared above 100% last month. That's the highest level since the early 1990s, and currently Venezuela and Zimbabwe are the only two countries experiencing higher inflation than Argentina according to International Monetary Fund data. By comparison, inflation hovers below 5% in the U.S., where the central bank has raised key interest rates by 5 percentage points over 14 months. Argentina's central bank is also hoping the rate hike will incentivize investments in the country's currency, according to the central bank statement released Monday. The exuberant inflation resulted in large outflows of investments held in the Argentinian peso, leading to a 23% decline in its value against the U.S. dollar this year. Ahead of a presidential election set for October, Economy Minister Sergio Massa is focused on avoiding an even bigger devaluation of the currency and containing inflation. He has been seen as a potential third-party candidate since incumbent President Alberto Fernandez announced last month that he won't seek re-election, and Massa's success is likely to be tied to the result of this inflation-battling plan. But the new rate hike is unlikely to bring any real change to Argentinian markets, analysts said. Quote, the feeling is that the government is completely losing it against inflation, said Miguel Caigo, a financial advisor and former deputy manager at the Central Bank of Argentina. Quote, I fear the government has started to act very late. Interest rate hikes are of course the main strategy to combat inflation, but they take time, Keigel told CNN in Español on Monday. When a central bank raises the interest rate, the effects are felt some two or three months afterward, and that timescale is not effective in Argentina's situation. Quote, The unbelieving world will soon have something to think of besides their dress and appearance. And as their minds are torn from these things by distress and perplexity, they will have nothing to turn to. They are not prisoners of hope, and therefore do not turn to the stronghold. Their hearts will fail them for repining and fear. They have not made God their refuge, and He will not be their consolation then, but will laugh at their calamity and mock when their fear cometh. They have despised and trampled upon the truths of God's word. They have indulged in extravagant dress and have spent their lives in hilarity and glee. They have sown to the wind, they must reap the whirlwind. In the time of distress and perplexity of nations, there will be many who have not given themselves wholly to the corrupting influences of the world and the service of Satan, who will humble themselves before God and turn to him with their whole heart and find acceptance and pardon. Testimonies to the Church Volume one, page two hundred and sixty eight. Next, JP Morgan Chase urges no vote on shareholder proposal to evaluate alleged religious discrimination at bank. The Board of Directors at JP Morgan Chase are urging shareholders to vote against a resolution calling on the banking company to evaluate how it oversees risk based on criteria that include religious and political views. David L. Banson, a Christian who is also the founder and managing partner of the Banson Group that manages more than $4 billion in assets, is slated to present a resolution about the issue at a shareholders meeting Tuesday, according to the Christian Post. The resolution demands J.P. Morgan Chase Respect civil rights by identifying potential factors that may contribute to discrimination in the provision of services based on race, color, religion, sex, national origin, or social, political, or religious views. The resolution comes amid allegations that the bank closed the account of Religious Freedom Nonprofit National Committee for Religious Freedom, NCRF, because of its religious and political views. Quote, in a particularly egregious display of viewpoint discrimination, J.P. Morgan Chase refused to process payments for a GOP-aligned organization, according to the statement on debanking and free speech signed by Banson and others. More recently, it shuttered the National Committee for Religious Freedom's account without explanation demanding that the nonprofit disclose its donors and provide a list of the potential candidates in it tends to support as a condition of resuming service. The nonpartisan multi-faith nonprofit, founded by former U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, claimed the bank demanded a list of its donors as a condition to have the account reinstated. Attorney General Daniel Cameron of Kentucky led a coalition of 18 other Republican state attorneys general who fired off earlier this month to Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, claiming that Chase has, quote, persistently discriminated against certain customers due to their religious or political affiliation. J.P. Morgan Chase filed a motion with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, to prevent the motion from appearing on the ballot, which the SEC denied in March arguing that it, quote, transcends ordinary business matters. J.P. Morgan's board of directors are now urging shareholders to vote against the resolution, claiming it is based on allegations that are not true. Quote, it is not our policy to debank people because of their political views or religious affiliation. The board's proxy statement read in part, We believe J.P. Morgan Chase has a strong corporate culture that values diversity of backgrounds, ideas, and experience and effectively work to prevent discrimination. Brownback told Fox Business in October that NCRF's account was closed without explanation. He said that when NCRF's executive director asked about why the account had been closed, the executive director was stonewalled. Quote, The people said the decision was made at the corporate level. It's secret, we're not going to tell you why, and it's irrevocable, Brownback said. We were just stunned. Quote, Of course, I'm not able to speak about confidential client matters, a spokesperson for Chase told Fox Business at the time. But what I can say is we have never and would never exit a client relationship due to their political or religious affiliation. Could this be one of the ways God's people could eventually be debanked for their views and teachings on the Sabbath? Quote, And he causeth all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation 13, 16, and 17. Next, de-dollarization is underway, and Congress must pass a stable coin bill to boost greenback's competitiveness Circle CEO says de-dollarization is already occurring and Congress must pass new stablecoin legislation to bolster the greenback. According to Circle founder and CEO Jeremy Allaire. Circle is responsible for USD Coin, the second largest stable coin which is a type of digital token that's typically pegged to a fiat currency. Such as greenback or other assets like bonds. Quote, We have a situation right now where there are questions being raised about the competitiveness of the US dollar. There are de dollarization efforts that are underway in many parts of the world. And we have a technological revolution that is taking place with blockchain technology, he told Bloomberg TV last week. He noted efforts in the European Union, Hong Kong, Singapore, the Middle East, and other markets warning the U.S. is running behind. Quote, And the dollar is facing, I think, more severe threats than ever has. And so our view is that it's vital that Congress act, that it act to pass legislation that can help it remain competitive in this age of Internet-based currencies, Alaire added. And that's really what I think some of these draft bills are doing that have been discussed within the House in recent days. Previously, he has shown support for a bill proposed by the U.S. House Financial Services Committee in mid-April. It would give the Federal Reserve power over non-bank stablecoin issuers ensuring they are backed by dollars, notes, or treasury bills. Allaire told Bloomberg that U.S. policymakers need to focus on creating an efficient framework that would introduce a digital dollar into the core economy. In his view, this would be especially beneficial at a time when global trade partners seem to be supporting a non-dollar trade regime, though analysis say it's unlikely the greenback loses its dominance in any near future. Quote, So something that could be held with a central bank or in short duration T-bills and other things, he said, and if you had that, and you had a way to regulate that at a federal level, that would be an ideal kind of framework for a company like Circle and for a digital currency like USDC. Through a tweet from last week, Alera outlined that the dollar would become safer and more competitive if unleashed on the internet, as it would allow for open use and deeper integration. The CEO's calls for further regulation also come after March's banking turmoil exposed stability concerns for such tokens. With 3.3 billion USDC reserves stored in Silicon Valley Bank, the currency lost 13 billion in market cap and was temporarily unpegged from the dollar. Quote The time has come when judgment is fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. But the Lord's arm is not shortened, that it cannot save, and his ear is not heavy, that it cannot hear. The people of the United States have been a favored people, but when they restrict religious liberty, surrender Protestantism, and give countenance to popery, the measure of their guilt will be full, and national apostasy will be registered in the books of heaven. The result of this apostasy is will be national ruin. Review and Herald, May 2nd, 1893.
0: Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now, you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His
2: loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.